Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. This is from uh, the author Aldous Huxley. He said, It's a bit embarrassing to have been concerned with the human problem all of one's life and find at the end that one has no more to offer by way of advice than this. Try to be a little kinder. This movement of the heart towards kindness is so simple. It's easy to overlook. The power of it when we actually bring it into our hearts and into our lives or when we notice its presence in our relationships is uh, quite remarkable. I remember one time early in my 20s when I had, had actually traveled over to Asia, to India and was having a very hard time in in practice. A lot of very difficult emotions had come up and uh, that I had suppressed for a long time. And I was very distressed. And there was this uh, other American uh, staying at the monastery where I was just not a few years older than me, maybe five years older, 10 years older. And... um, He'd been practicing a lot longer and uh, just, you know, said, why don't you come over to my room? We can have some tea. We just sat and talked and there was something so soothing about just being able to spend time with someone else who could listen. So we spent a lot of the day yesterday touching into this quality of loving kindness, of just this basic movement of care or friendliness uh, and beginning to explore in general the relationship between these four qualities of the heart known as the Brahma-viharas, these sublime qualities of kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity. Uh, with resilience. Um, I spoke briefly about uh, the the whole that that this capacity for resilience to um, meet the challenges of life with a certain kind of elasticity or inner resourcefulness uh, 
shows up in many different areas that we have physical resilience in terms of just the health and well-being of our body. There's the resilience that comes from our social network and community. Very important, having friends and people that we can rely on or go to or uh, turn to for support. And uh, and then the, the, the realm of meditation practice, contemplative practice, really and specifically with these Brahma-viharas, kind of encompasses several other dimensions of resilience. Clearly it's connected to the spiritual side of resilience, of having a, a sense of connection with uh, something greater than ourselves. Uh, connection, whether that's with humanity or other people or um, with some kind of quality of awareness or aliveness that transcends our small sense of self. There's the emotional dimension of this this cultivation of empathy and the, um, the nourishing aspect of these qualities that, you know, even just in this last short meditation, you know, if you were able to touch into even just one moment of kindness, Noticing how that feels, noticing the effect on the mind and the body, the kind of relief or the release of that. And this is, it's talked about the freedom that comes with these qualities, with loving kindness. It's freedom from ill will, freedom from hostility, and that's deeply nourishing to our hearts and to our spirits. And so the, uh, um, the emotional effects of cultivating these qualities in and of themselves and also what they dissipate or heal. So loving kindness heals ill will, aversion and hostility. Compassion, which we'll be exploring today, this morning, uh, heals cruelty. It heals some of the sense of separation that we experience in relation to others. Uh, gladness and joy, which we'll explore some this afternoon, uh, heals and resolves discontent and a certain kind of craving, a certain kind of compulsive craving. Jealousy, envy, and equanimity, which we'll explore tomorrow, uh, heals the swings of reactivity in the mind, of being pushed and pulled around by our lives. And these qualities also cultivate a certain mental or cognitive resilience. They provide, as we develop them, as we kind of touched into a little bit yesterday, they start to provide a different perspective on life on ourselves and on our relationships, another way of looking at things, that we can see things from a different perspective, from the perspective of connection, from the perspective of compassion, of our shared humanity. So there's a part of this training that's cultivating a certain way of seeing 
certain way of looking at things. So with loving-kindness practice, it's said that the, the immediate cause, the most immediate preceding cause for the arising of this state of care and well-wishing is seeing the good in another. Seeing the good in someone else. And when we see that, there's that movement of the heart of like, ah, may you be well. And so as this image we've been using of the pools of water filling up, we start where it's easiest to see that good in another. And over the course of our retreat, I've chosen to focus mostly on the places where it's easy with each of these qualities as a way of deepening and gathering our inner resources and just indicating the direction of expanding into the areas where either it's more neutral and bland or more difficult. But I'm really wanting our time together to focus on developing this uh, sense of a solid foundation of well-being within. With compassion, we're, um, we're seeing the vulnerability of another. We're training our attention to tune in to the, the suffering or the helplessness of suffering. And when we see in that way, it brings forth the quality of care, of tenderness, of compassion. So I'd like to speak for a little bit this morning about this quality of compassion. What it is, what it isn't. Its value. And then uh, just to kind of give you a, a sense of the flow of the morning where we're going. Uh, then we'll we'll do some walking practice, and uh, off I'll offer some suggestions for how you can use that time. <clears throat> and then we'll come back and uh, do some uh, compassion practice together, some guided compassion practice and then have a little bit of time at the end of that for some questions and answers and discussion. So the understanding in the Buddhist tradition is that, um, as I was saying yesterday, that all four of these qualities support one another. They're, They're different facets of the human heart. And, uh, and that they're innate. That um, this word vihara means a resting place or an abode, some place that you go, that you can stay. And so there's the sense that these qualities are the natural response of our heart when we are not overcome or obsessed with our thoughts with our self-centeredness, with our reactivity, with our uh, 
own desires and preferences and comfort, when our world isn't cramped and small in that way, then the natural response of the heart, depending on the circumstances, these these divine qualities. And it's uh, another way of understanding that word vihara, abode or resting place, is like home. So what's it like What's it like to be home? It's that feeling of relaxing, of being able to kick back and not have to pretend or put on any airs or perform or be anything for anyone. We can just be ourself, kind of let your hair down and be at ease. So there's that, that sense that these qualities are when we are connected with this uh, empathy in the heart that shows up as these four different qualities that we can be at home in ourself. And again, to just check in your experience and see whether it's here in the retreat or in your life, when you have that feeling of just basic friendliness and care, whether it's with someone in your life or even a stranger on the street. You know, there's that way we're walking down the street and you catch someone's eye and there's just a moment of a genuine smile. No words. It only lasts a a split second sometimes. But you just, you make contact and there's that smile. And how does that feel? There's something so deeply right about that moment of seeing one another and smiling. And it's just, it's just, hello. Just this mutual seeing and acknowledgement and how, how at home we feel in that moment. So the basic orientation of the, this quality of empathy, of anukampa that we spoke about yesterday is this goodwill and friendliness. And when that resonant empathic quality of the heart meets difficulty and suffering, the natural response is to care, is compassion. So this quality of karuna is the word in Pali, is about how we respond to suffering, our own pain and suffering and the suffering of others. And again, we see this in our, in our own life in ways large and small and the effect of this. I remember just talking to some colleagues and I was wearing a scarf that uh, an, an ex-girlfriend had given me. And one of my colleagues, oh, it's a very, it's a beautiful scarf. And I said, thanks. I said, yeah, you know, it was given to me by an, an ex-girlfriend. It was actually very painful. <laughs> painful breakup. It was one of those like really, you know, shattering, hard breakups. And But I, you know, still have this beautiful scarf. <laughs> and uh, she just looked at me and said, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. You know? There's just that sense of being available to respond authentically to the suffering. I remember um, 
the first time I experienced the healing power of compassion, I was um, uh, practicing meditation at a monastery and uh, it was, again, it was very early in my practice and I was feeling very homesick uh, for my family and f- friends. I was far away in a place where I didn't really know too many people and I uh, went to see one of the meditation teachers and I was telling him that I was having a very hard time and that I was you know, really, really homesick. And, um, and he, just, he just listened and, and then at some point he asked me, he said, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? And I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that because I was very new to practice. I hadn't really thought about it. I said, oh, gee, I pointed to my heart. So here, it hurts here. And he just kind of stayed with me and held my gaze and kind of nodded and said, oh, hmm. And then I could feel it. I could feel the pain and felt this kind of wave of emotion come up and that kind of lump in my throat and this flush of tears just very lightly came through. And with the the support and the care of his presence and compassion, I was able to feel actually the longing and the pain of missing home. And then it passed, and I felt lighter. When we make space for our own pain or the pain of another, it can be deeply healing. What is our usual response, though, to pain and suffering? What is our habitual? This is often not our habitual or conditioned response. This might be the natural response of the heart when there's nothing else blocking it. You know, if you see see a a small animal, a cat or a dog or a a bird that's injured, what's the response? You know, it's the heart reaches out. Oh, what can we do? You know, maybe you pick it up gently and try to find the owner or take it to a shelter or something, or if you see a a child that's lost in the store, right, what do we do? You know, you you bend down, right, to get on the child's level, and you look in her eyes or his eyes, and you say, you know, are you lost? It's okay. You know, that's, who are you here with? Are you here with your mommy? Okay, well, well, we'll find her. Come. It's okay. We'll find her. You reassure the child and you're present with, with them. It's a very natural response. But it gets blocked, it gets covered over by sometimes just by the busyness of our life, just the pressure. We just get stretched so thin that there's no space to respond in that way. Or we become overwhelmed by our own pain or the pain of another. So we avoid it, or we, we retract, or try to turn away, or run away, or we feel embarrassed, or ashamed, or humiliated by our own pain, or the pain of another, or we lash out sometimes, we blame, you know, this is your fault, or it's my fault, we get angry. Or sometimes we, uh, we can't tolerate the discomfort of the suffering. 
and so we try to fix it, right? Which is different than compassion. We try to solve it. Here, let me make that better for you. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. Don't cry, don't cry, it's okay, right? Because we're so uncomfortable. There's a <laughs> wonderful story. You know who Ramdas is? Richard Alpert, the researcher from Harvard who got involved in psychedelics and traveled to India and became a guru and kind of was one of the you know, major figures in bringing spirituality back to the West. It's a story of him later in his uh, life, uh, you know, after he was already Ram Dass and this great guru and teacher and um, uh, sitting with his mother who was dying and accompanying her through the dying process and wanting to support her and so giving her breath instructions and he was kind of giving her instructions to pay attention to her breath and feel her breath and letting go into the universe and feeling and just talking and giving her. and then at you know at some point she just kind of looks up at him and says ramdas be quiet <laughs> and he realized that he was you know he wasn't actually being with her suffering because he was trying to fix it or make it go away in some way. So this is one dimension of compassion. This is the receptive aspect of compassion, which is just that capacity to be with the pain of ourself or another without trying to do anything, without needing to make it better. And this is where the quality of equanimity is so essential. That balance in the mind and the the deep trust that each of us must go through our own process and that we will learn what we need to and recover in the way we need to. Sometimes our response to suffering is to become overwhelmed. We fall into it. We, we become despairing or full of grief or sorrow. So this is what's known as the near enemy or the near miss of compassion. We were talking about this yesterday. So the opposite of compassion is obviously cruelty of actually wishing harm on another But the near-miss is this way in which we become flooded by suffering. We fall into it and we lose our ground. Compassion is actually a very strong and stable state. It's not weak or uh, overcome by suffering, there's the capacity to, to really be there with the suffering. You think back to the, the child who's lost in the store, right? If we were to start getting really upset and, oh no, where's your mom? This is terrible. What are you going to do? And, you know, that's not, that's not helpful. <laughs> You're going to freak that kid out, right? <laughs> so the, 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 the compassion is that ability to be really steady. We're right there with the suffering but we're not overcome by it. 
There's a strength to the compassion. And this starts to point to the other aspect of compassion, which is the active component. There's the receptive side and then the active side. The active side is that readiness to help that says, come, we'll we'll find your parent. Let's take care of this together. It'll be okay. That's ready to be, ready to, to help if needed. If needed, and that's important. It's not that we're taking over the situation, but there's this readiness, a willingness to move into action. And the word in Pali for compassion, karuna, points to this. It, it shares the same, uh, it has the same root as the word karma or kamma, which means literally action or to do, karuna. So some translators actually talk about compassion more as a verb to be compassionate, to act compassionately. It's a movement of the heart to to be there with the suffering and see if we can help. So when we don't have access to compassion, when we are um, defined by our habitual responses, whether it's to pull away or to blame or to fall in or to become overwhelmed or embarrassed or humiliated, this whole range, it tends to make things worse. (laughs) It tends to exacerbate the issue or get us entangled in it. You know, even just avoiding something, pushing it away over time deepens the challenge rather than helping. But when we're willing to turn towards the suffering, when we're able to actually include it, to meet it with awareness, something transformative happens. It's actually strengthening. It matures our heart. It deepens us in a certain way. It opens into a a much much different experience of connection. So compassion is this ability to turn towards difficulty and suffering, to be present with it, could say that awareness itself is a compassionate act just being aware in a balanced way of the difficulty. So like when we're in these situations where where there's just continual barrage of negativity or hostility, just the capacity to ground in our own awareness is an act of compassion rather than the kind of like disappear, retreat, or that like, you know, aggressive challenge it response just to hold the ground. <clears throat> this is from the uh, from the the famous text, The Bodhisattva's Way of Life, by uh, Shantideva, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, from the 
8th century. He wrote, I should dispel the pain of others because it hurts, like my own. And I should be good to them because they feel just as I do. When both they and I are the same in both wanting joy and not desiring pain, what's so special about me? When I act for the sake of others, no amazement or conceit arises. Just like feeding myself, I hope for nothing in return. So there's that sense of the movement of compassion, the movement of the heart to turn towards and meet suffering and when appropriate to respond. It's just this natural sense of care, not because we're special or great or something, but just because we see that this other person is just like me. Or when it's ourself, we see that we are just like others. We deserve that care and compassion and tenderness in the same way that others do. We can, we can provide that for ourselves. So there's, um, there's been a lot of discussion and research lately done on um, compassion fatigue, getting burnt out. This came up yesterday. You know, when, uh, when our tendency is to actually turn towards the suffering, um, but either we're not being nourished enough or there isn't that balance, the equanimity present with the compassion, then we become over-identified with the other person's suffering, or we take on more responsibility for it than is actually warranted or healthy, or we just uh, sometimes just get overexposed, whether it's through the news or through our line of work, if we're in some kind of caregiving profession or helping profession. So when we practice compassion, it's important to know where we're starting from and to see if we're starting from a place of retracting from or avoiding suffering, then the movement, then the balance is to, is to encourage that opening to and turning towards the suffering and really trying to bring our awareness to the very point of contact with the pain. But sometimes if, if it's like if we've been, <laughs> we've been at that point of contact for a long time, for whatever reason in our life, whether it's our own pain and illness or difficulty or a family member or our work, um, then the movement might actually be like compassion for self. Really tending to our own suffering. 
and uh, and cultivating equanimity more in relation to others, which we'll we'll explore more deeply tomorrow. But just this sense of um, a deep understanding. of the fundamental reality of being alive, that we all suffer, that we don't really control, for the most part, the way things go, as much as we would like to take away another's pain or suffering, that none of us can do that. We don't have that capacity most of the time. And so there's a kind of letting go that comes with equanimity, with understanding the limits of our control and the uh, the reality of being human, that we all suffer, that we all experience loss and grief, and that we each just need to go through that, that that's part of maturing as a human being, and that we can accompany one another through that suffering, but that we can't take it away. And the burnout, the fatigue, often comes from trying to over overextending our reach, thinking that we can actually control more than we can. And so there's a letting go that comes with that. And it's a rich area to explore, to start to delve into, and this is where some of the cognitive development of resilience comes with compassion practices, beginning to uncover some of the beliefs that we may have about our role in relation to suffering the suffering of others, uh, our own identification with the, being the caregiver or the helper or um, our belief in our own capacity, a mistaken belief in our capacities to heal another or our inability to be with the intensity of pain or helplessness and so all of this we, we explore this whole realm this whole dimension as we do compassion practice as we turn towards the suffering rather than turning away from it and begin to meet it with tenderness with that sense of just like me this person is just like me and can we be there with the pain, with a, a heart of care and tenderness? Or if it's ourself, to be there to hold the suffering, the pain, the heartache, to, to bring a caring, loving awareness to it and to be present with it in, that, in a strong, grounded, and tender way that doesn't shrink, doesn't pull away, but doesn't fall in either. A very, a very delicate balance. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to give you some time to do some walking practice and just take all of this in. Um, as I said yesterday, there are a few options. So what we're, one, of the, one of the things that I'm really encouraging and, and wanting you to explore is the sense of 
becoming a companion and a friend to yourself and really listening for what's needed. What's, what's nourishing for me here? How can I really show kindness and compassion to myself and let myself take in the nourishment of this time and this space and this retreat of being here together? So for, the, for this next period of time, to, uh, to listen with an open mind for what's, what's nourishing. And to think about this as, it's as natural as breathing or as drinking a glass of water. When you're thirsty, you don't have to think about it. They just drink. And, and when we're aware, when we're present, when we're drinking water, Ah, it's so refreshing. There's nothing quite like it. So to just relate to your heart in that way, to see what is the heart longing for? And just listen and trust. Maybe you want to do some formal walking practice and really just enjoy the, the stillness and the slowness, the simplicity of walking, either just with mindfulness or with the loving kindness, using one or two phrases or just abiding in that energy of kindness and warmth towards yourself. But then there are all of the other options of enjoying the the beauty of nature here, stretching, having a cup of tea, and whatever you're doing, however you spend the time of this walking period, do it with awareness and with kindness. So we, we we are practicing You know, just because you choose to have a cup of tea doesn't mean you're blowing off the practice. You know, really be present with that cup of tea and let yourself be nourished. Most of our lives, not, not everyone, but most of our lives are so busy. We have so many demands and pressures and responsibilities. And even if we're not busy, just the whole sea of, of our culture is kind of buzzing with this frenetic energy of doing and accomplishing that it kind of infects the mind so there's there's something about just kind of separating from that pace and returning to a more natural way of being that's uh, deeply can be deeply refreshing